It's Tuesday, April 19th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 396 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 49 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. My name is John. And my name is Chris. And joining us right here, right now, is James D'Amato. Hello, heroes. Hello, James. Hello, James. Why heroes? Uh, that's actually, that's my sign-on on my podcast. Uh, I have a catchphrase, and I've just sort of leaned super hard into it. Yeah, nice. but the thing is, on your show, the people are actually playing heroes. I could be... Abs- <laughs> uh, that's debatable. I could yeah. be morally repugnant in ways he's not even dreamed of. <laughs> Like, he could seriously be calling the 21st century Hitler a hero right now. And how is he going to feel about that in retrospect? How will history judge him? No. You know, perhaps Hello Heroes is an optimistic greeting. Uh, yes. You know, you're, you're trying to project that onto people and remind them uh, that they're trying to pursue their better selves. Well, you, you could just end it with a question mark as well. That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's kind of the same way that you have Hello Kitty, which doesn't make any sense because it's the cat. So shouldn't it be Hello Human? Like, shouldn't I be Hello Kitty? I always thought you were talking to the kitty when you said that. So you would be saying hello to the kitty. Like, hello, kitty. Then why isn't there a comma in there? Well, you know, it's a Japanese property. Yeah, they don't. It's Japanese. They don't. They basically don't have punctuation. They just have the little open circle at the end of their sentences. Well, couldn't you go like hello and then like quiver and like have dot, dot, dot appear above your head and then get to the kitty? (laughs) I don't know. All right. Well, anyways, so James is one of the hosts from the One Shot podcast and also its sister show, the Campaign Podcast, where they play games, record them as actual plays, test out systems, all kind of cool stuff. We actually did a uh, crossover interview with these guys a while back, which I'll link in the show notes in case you do not recall that episode or are new to our show and just simply haven't heard that episode. It's a great, it was a fun show. It was. And I'm going to tell you guys a different story about a different podcast to set up what James is on here to talk about today. And that podcast is Pulp Gamer, which is of course still around and we're at least loosely affiliated with them and the stuff they do. But back in like, 2007 so in podcasting years this is like thousands of years ago Mm. they came out with a series of cds that had been put together by somebody that was really big into speech and linguistics and things like that in fact i think i still have a couple of them but what they did on this cd was they broke down the details of why particular accents sounded a certain way why it is that a an american accent sounds this way and a scottish accent sounds this way and an irish accent and so on and so forth and they worked you step by step through how to do those accents with the idea that this is something that you could use in your role-playing game and i guess it would also have use in things like theater but it was specifically meant for people that were doing role-playing games such that you know when you're playing if you want to take on a a Scottish accent or an English accent instead of doing a terrible one, you could actually do a fairly authentic one. And I always thought that these were one of the most underrated resources ever created for role-playing games. Yeah, I have to agree. If somebody has these, you need to send me the MP3. (laughs) If I can get Don's, because I think I'm looking at them right now. I think I know where they are. Like, I may be looking at one right this moment. 
But if I can get Don's approval to do so, I would love to send you a copy. But the great thing about voices is they help to differentiate you from the character. They, If you're a game master and they help differentiate one non-player character from the other, it's a great way of drawing people into the moment. With voices in general, the way I heard it put on Facebook, somebody posted a meme or something that said, role-playing is a lot like sex. Once you stop worrying about how you look, you'll enjoy it a whole lot more. I think that sentiment is completely right. And so James got in touch with us and told us about a Kickstarter he's got coming up that's going to launch on the 18th. Is that correct? That is correct. Monday, the 18th. Monday, the 18th of this month of April. And then when does it end? When does that Kickstarter end? Uh, That is most likely going to be ending the 18th of May. So just going the 30 days. So, all right, so it's running for a month. Tell us what your Kickstarter is about, because I love this. I think this is great. So we are kickstarting a party game called Noisy Person Cards. Uh, and it's a game that we designed to help uh, role players get better at using character voices at the table. Whether that is, uh, you know, introducing it to somebody who's not used to using character voices at all and doesn't feel really confident with them. Or if you're somebody who's already super great at it and you're just looking to develop new character voices, uh, we designed a game that would sort of help facilitate that process and could you explain a little bit about how this game plays uh so we decided for a very simple setup we wanted some, it to be something that was very recognizable and easy to learn so we went with the good old-fashioned card matching mechanic used by games like apples to apples or cards against humanity uh there is a judge at the table who will present everyone with a character card that'll have uh some talking fantasy creature on it like a m- talking tree a lich or a magic mirror And players around the table will have to search their hands for phrase cards. And these phrase cards will have a bunch of fantasy-themed pithy one-liners on them, like, I taught you pyromancy, not mumblemancy. Now speak up, or I'll find myself another orphan seeking their destiny. You search your hand for what you think would be an appropriate phrase card uh, for the character card you've been presented with, and you will attempt to read that card in the character's voice, and the judge will pick a winner. So it's a game of battling performances. Now, there's also a complication mechanic to the game. Yes, that is correct, because uh, we're obviously aiming it at an audience uh, that's used to role-playing games. So they're used to games with mechanics that are a little bit meatier than match this thing up with this thing. Uh, So what we wanted to do was give players a way to complexify the game for themselves if they wanted to. And that is the descriptors. On the bottom of every phrase card, uh, there is a one to three word descriptor that would change any character card it was applied to. For instance, if we had a magic mirror uh, you could take one of your phrase cards and apply uh, a descriptor to it uh, turning your magic mirror into a combative magic mirror and that is going to change the way that you read your phrase card and perform the character 
Uh, and there are a couple different ways that you can use this mechanic. If you're a judge and you're just bored and you want to see more interesting performances out of people, uh, when you draw the character card, you can apply a descriptor right away. If you're a player, whether like you have a card in your hand that you don't like or you just don't think that you can read for a magic mirror, you can d- decide to step out of the round and throw one of your descriptors down on the character, making the game more interesting for everybody, but sparing you having to read for a magic mirror. And finally, there is dueling, because I found in a lot of party games, it's pretty easy as a judge to get in a situation where two people have done a really good job and you just can't choose between them. You can initiate a duel and ask them to search their hands for descriptors to add to the character that they're reading for, and whoever manages to pull off their new descriptor better wins the round. So in having James on here today, we wanted to talk about that Kickstarter a little bit, but there's a topic that this Kickstarter brings up, and we're going to use some examples from his game here as a way of kind of demonstrating this. But the broader topic that we want to talk about today is about using voices in your role-playing games. And uh, James, you and Kat both have backgrounds in theater and improv. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, yes. Kat has a very good background in theater, and I am an improviser who's trained at a bunch of different uh, theaters here in Chicago. There's a story that we've told on the show, but it absolutely bears repeating because of the truth that it demonstrates, which is that one of the early Fear of the Cons, Chris caught our attention by running a game of D&D for new gamers. This was specifically an intro to RPGs game. I didn't pay attention to most of it until Chris was standing on top of a chair doing an ogre voice. There is something about that that not only kind of brings the character to life, but really helps draw the people at the table in. And I think that there are a lot of things that people could benefit from if they were able to, one, bring voices to the table, and two, to do them well. And so what I wanted to pick James Brain on And we're going to use some examples from this game that he's got, this NPC game, if no one caught what that abbreviates to. (laughs) That took me a while. Is we're going to do some exercises here with voices, and we're going to talk about kind of the mechanics of doing alternate voices. And so you guys at home, what we're hoping to give you is, first of all, some exercises that you can actually use or play along with in your car, or if you don't mind getting looked at really weird at work. Then secondly, you go to hear us embarrass ourselves on the mic. So once again, we are going to treat this show just like sex. So James, <laughs> you showed us the car. But it should already be over and I should be feeling terrible about myself. <laughs> yeah. When, um, hold on. Let me get, let me get, I, I just started crying. So hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you too, Chris. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah, no kidding. And then the poster <laughs> on this chair is really starting to chafe my ass. <laughs> oh. Wait until I tell Chris Wait. I just peed a plus sign. Oh. oh. <laughs> anyway, so we looked over the cards and we each picked out a phrase from these cards just to kind of give us something to work from. And James, I want you to walk us through some exercises here and deconstruct what's going on so that the people that are listening in can not only just play along, but learn something as we're doing this and embarrassing ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, one of the, I'll start off by saying one of the reasons that uh, Kat and I decided to design this game 
is we get people coming to us all the time asking for acting or improv exercises that they can use to sort of build on and work on their own role playing at home. And one of the problems that I've found with most improv or acting exercises is they're a little weird uh, for people. Like it's not something that you would normally do with your friends. They really ask you to put yourself out there. Uh, so we wanted to frame things in a way that was more approachable for gamers. But what I'm going to do with you guys here today is sort of walk through one of the early exercises that we do at Second City when we're teaching people how to improvise for the first time. Uh, so I'm going to break down how emotions affect your voice and how you can use that to build a character. So first things first, I'm going to have you guys read some phrase cards from NPC, and that is going to sort of introduce what you'll be saying so the audience can establish what your baseline voice sounds like and how it's going to change throughout this process. All right, Chris, since you're ancient, do you want to go first? I would be happy to go first. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so normal voice. Here is my card. That's Zeplatimus, the unyielding storm of the north, to you. I didn't spend seven years battling Gorfo the unspoken to be called Mr. Zeplatimus. One of your parents must have been an Ifrit, because your body is smoking. If wishes were horses, our armies would swarm into the kingdom of the hated elf, for they would tremble at the feet of our mighty horse golem. <laughs> So those are the baselines. I want you guys to apply an emotion to this. What this is going to do at, at first is subtly affect the way you're speaking. And because we tried to do a different emotion before, as this is the second time we're recording this podcast, I'm going to go with a different one. I want you to add some element of anger to what you're saying, uh, which is going to be, I think, especially hilarious with Dan's, which is clearly a pickup line. So <laughs> I want you guys to just say it angry and we're going to go through with everyone and then I'm going to sort of separate things out so we can experiment with this a little bit. Okay, Chris, go ahead. All right. That's Zeplatimus, the unyielding storm of the north to you. I didn't spend seven years battling Gorfo the Unspoken to be called Mr. Zeplatimus. One of your parents must have been an effort because your body is smoking. <laughs> That's almost accusatory. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that it was you know what I, I, I was trying to think they're like where would how would this be angry and the only thing i could come up with was like jealous bar bitch <laughs> that was the only thing <laughs> <laughs> if wishes were horses our armies would swarm into the kingdom of the hated elf they would tremble at the feet of our mighty horse golem okay so right off the bat what we can hear when somebody is angry they sort of speed their words up, mash them together, and end their sentences on like more definitive points. Uh, you are basically trying to put a hard edge on almost everything you say. And somebody who speaks like that is going to speak very differently than the way you do in your normal life. Just applying the smallest amount of emotion to what you say when you're speaking as a character creates an entirely different person. Because that's a person who speaks in a way that's completely different than you. Well, and right there is, I think, a great piece of possible advice. It's fairly easy to find D6s that have emotions on them, that have different faces or expressions on each of the sides. 
And one of the great ways that you could immediately add some kind of distinction or voice to an NPC is roll that die and figure out what mood they're in. You know, it kind of seems to be the default that every time you talk to a shopkeeper or whatever, they're always in an effectively neutral mood. Yeah. But you have no idea what was happening to this person right before you walked in or what's going on in their life. And so if you simply give them an emotion, even if the reason for that emotion is never explained, which, by the way, it could be, and that would add some great RP and depth to uh, the NPC. But even if you never get around to explaining it, simply using that emotion to affect your voice would be a great way to change up the voice of the character a bit. So, yeah, go on. Yeah, James. Well, when you think about it, a shopkeeper is doing a retail job. And it doesn't matter if there's a fantasy setting with magic and dragons. Retail jobs are garbage. So he's probably going to hate everybody who walks through the door, no matter what. And that will certainly make him a more memorable NPC. Uh, So what we're going to explore next is intensity. In Second City, they teach you to sort of break down emotions and the way you are reading for emotions on a scale of 1 to 10. And what I think I got from everybody there, I'd say we were hitting about a five or a six, you know, the people are clearly angry. It's easy to tell what's going on there, but I want to amp things up further. Dan, we're going to go with you um, because yours was the weirdest. Uh, I'd say you really did give a lot to that, but I want you to take things even further. I want you to focus on anger, like really think about it and put it into the words that you say. You don't need to be screaming. I'd say what you want to go for is a nice seething rage. You want something contained and held back, but still outwardly sharp. Take it up to a 9 or a 10. So angry, but not enraged. Okay. Angry, but not screaming, because we're all speaking into what I'm assuming are very expensive microphones. One of your parents must have been an effort because your body is smoking. Now, I like that because the anger that I got there, it felt like that character, like the first one we talked about, like, yeah, that was that was like somebody being bitchy at a bar and like being accusatory about somebody's bloodline. In this one, it sounded more like a parent, like scolding a child or like uh, a married couple arguing. So already by taking that emotional intensity and amping it up, you have changed the way the character acts. And I also noticed, uh, just looking at the sound file there as it was recording, that I put a pause between individual phrases. So one of your parents, pause, must have been pause, an ifrit, pause, because your body is smoking. Mm-hmm. And so there were, there were pauses at specific intervals within the speech. Exactly. And it, the, that that is like your speech pattern. And speech patterns are really great. And there's something that's easy to summon up and develop by focusing on different emotions. Whether you're angry or sad or happy, it affects the way you speak and pause and creates a different pattern of movement in your voice. And if you strip the emotion away and you just keep the speech pattern, you have an entirely new character. Yeah, and let me walk you through what was going through my head when I did that, because this might be helpful to the people that are listening. I've heard something, and I don't know how widespread this is or if it's true at all, but that one of the deepest secrets an actor or actress keeps is what it is they think of when they have to cry during a scene. You know, they try to draw on something real to motivate that moment. And 
I'll go ahead and tell you what was motivating me there was I was trying to think of the last time I could remember that I was really, really pissed off. And it was at a my prior job, not my current job, but my prior job where they were working me absolutely around the clock. I mean, I literally pulled 30 hour shifts on broken and there came a point where after I'd been doing that for two or three years and had missed all kinds of holidays and birthdays and stuff, and even some recordings of the show that they pulled me into a side room to tell me I wasn't doing enough or giving enough to the company. And I lost my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I, I said some things I won't repeat on this show, but the point being that that was what I was thinking of when I was doing that. I was trying to channel that moment to give me something more real because I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I'm not a great actor. It's just not my wheelhouse, but I can certainly be angry even if I can't act like I'm angry. And so I just sort of put myself in that mindset of where I was back then and tried to relive that moment a little bit. And the brilliant thing about like acting and improv techniques and the way that we use them in role playing games, you you don't need to be a brilliant and talented actor to get use out of these techniques because you're not trying to convince your friends that you're actually angry at them or or you know yell at the people around you at the table. Uh, what you're trying to do is convince them that the person they're talking to is not their GM. And the way you signal that to them is by summoning up like uh, the different speech patterns, the different intensity, the different way of speaking you have when you are angry. You don't need to get all the way there for it to be enough different from your normal way of talking and acting for them to understand that, oh, this is a different character and follow where that leads. So I'm going to I'm going to move on to Chris. Now Chris, uh we're, what we're going to do for you is the opposite. Your read was informed by overt anger like before. So what I want you to do is back it off rather than being full-blown anger, I want you to take it to a level of annoyance. So dropping it dropping it down to like a 2 or a 3. So you're still trying to make sure that like it tracks with your read, but it's not so much that like you're yelling or screaming. That's Zeplatimus of the Unyielding Storm of the North to you. Now, I I didn't spend seven years battling Gorfo the Unspoken to be called Mr. (laughs) Zeplatimus. So what I like about this one, I I feel like this character is talking to a telemarketer. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, am I speaking to a Mister Zaplatimus? <laughs> and like, well, he was. I felt like I was talking to a kid. You know, that is <laughs> like a brask over right. overstepping kid. James, you got to feel me on this one. You know what the great thing is about having an easily mispronounced last name? You immediately know who you're talking to. <laughs> you pick up the phone, and if it's like, is Mister Repper Burgunder there? It's like. Click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And you you can see how this NPC is different than the person that Chris initially introduced us to. You know, that person, like, obviously being much more forceful, this person still interested in continuing the conversation, but not willing to bend on how their name is said. And that changed, once again, the way he spoke. It was, like I think, that the read on it being like somebody talking to a child is a 
really good one. It had an element of patience in there. You could hear yeah. the way Chris was like holding back things. They were selling halfling scout cookies. So uh, for this last one, what I want to do is I am going to take it again at a five. Uh, you're going to, uh, John, say your phrase like uh, pretty much the way you said it last time, but we're going to continue that conversation a little bit, and I want you to just follow where your voice takes you. Okay. All right, so hit us with it. If witches were horses, our armies would swarm into the kingdom of the hated elf. They would tremble at the feet of our mighty horse golem. Hey, Hey, bud, look, I, I, I understand that that you want to get revenge on those guys, but look, I, I just wish that, that we had a peaceful way of life, you know? Our kingdoms could get along. Your wishes will not fortify the southern Dacron border, nor provide us the pikes necessary to repel a cavalry charge from the Elf Lord's horsemen. Uh, see, and there we go. We have it. That character is a general of some sort uh, that I'm hearing. Like, that is definitely somebody who is used to being in a position of command, used to being listened to, and is not going to take any guff from somebody who suggests that they do uh, a plan that's not their own. Yes, I was thinking like Civ 2 military advisor. Someone who's on a privy council in an authority position and is annoyed that someone else is suggesting that they should do the non-military thing. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think you nailed it. And we can all see Why, how thank you. that was very different from like the way you normally speak. You're kind of a laid back guy. And that dude was super uptight. Yep. When I think about voice, and some of this I got from listening to an NPR interview, this was years ago. They're interviewing somebody who did a bunch of the voices on Futurama. Uh, this particular guy, I don't remember his name, but he did the voices of like the professor. I think he did the voice of Zoidberg. And John just looked this up on his phone. Apparently, the interview I was listening to was Billy West. So if I can find it, I'll link that in the show notes. I don't know if that's in the available public archives of NPR or not. But there was one thing that he was explaining when he was talking about how he did these voices. I don't remember specifically how he worked it out. But as I listened to him and as I thought about how I did my own voices for various role-playing games, I kind of came up with three components that fit into a voice. The first two, I think, are the ones that people naturally try to go for, which is pitch and accent. You try to do a foreign accent or some kind of a self-created accent, usually poorly, or you try to simply change the pitch of the voice or, or whatever. But there's a third one that I think is underutilized, which is something, James, you've been talking about, which is cadence. Yes. That simply the speed at which you say words and the way in which you pause between them, even without any change of pitch or accent, can convey quite a bit. And to demonstrate this, I have these, well, there's clutter all over this recording studio, but I've got a, a paper here in front of me that actually has an outline on it from a prior episode of our show. And I'm going to read a line off of it, and I'm going to read the line first normally, and then all I'm going to try and change, do my best here, is not change my pitch or my accent, but only change the cadence to give a sense of the effect that this can have. All right, so the, the bit of advice here, this was about how to have major NPCs involved in your game, was don't be a fan of the NPC. This is advice to the game master. So let me do that again with a different cadence. Don't be a fan of the NPC. Mm -hmm. And even though I did my best there to change nothing but the cadence, 
I'm going to guess you guys probably got a little bit more of a sense of annoyance or a little bit more of... You sounded more irritated, even though you didn't change the tenor of your voice. Yeah, it, it almost sounded like you expected somebody to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. And I was picking up a bit more gravity, too, to certain things that you're trying to say. You're like you were really trying to drive home a certain point. All right, James, let's stick with these same lines. Okay, so let's keep our same lines here because I want to keep going with this. Throw us something else. Give us a character. Give us a mood. Give us something else to go with. Okay, so I'm actually going to go through uh, the Noisy Person Cards deck, and I am going to pick out nice. a character. And Oh my god, guys, is this an actual play? I think it is, technically. <laughs> technically. Technically speaking, this is an actual play. Yes. I just spawn them up no, everywhere I go. Let's go, Noel. Uh, so what, what I have here is a Wizard's Apprentice. So you guys are going to be trying to say those same lines as a wizard's apprentice. And instead of trying to play with cadence or emotion or anything specific, I want you guys to focus on what a wizard's apprentice means to you. Say that as a wizard's apprentice, and then we're going to break down what changed. Okay, Chris, go ahead. That's uh, Zaplatimus, the unyielding storm of the north to you. I didn't spend seven years battling Gorfo the Unspoken to be called Mr. Zaplatimus. Already, we're, we're seeing a total tonal shift for this character. Uh, back when it was being informed by anger, you know, obviously a lot more confident and resolute. And now you can see this character is clearly a lot more meek and unsure about the things that they're saying. There was a lot more trailing with words. Even though he was reading off of a card, you could tell that like the character was sort of having trouble thinking of what to say. Agreed. Exactly, and which is which is that that was the intent that I was going for. Someone who's very unsure of um, exactly how he's like he like he had just recently inherited this title, uh, or was instructed to refer to himself in this manner, and then was being tested as such. Okay, I'll go. All right, go for it. One of your parents must have been an effort because your body is smoking. <laughs> So, like, here we have the excited teenager, right? <laughs> <laughs> he probably thinks this is a great pickup line. This is the first time this character has ever spoken to somebody that they were attracted to. <laughs> Possibly any girl at all. Yeah, you, you can tell, like, the, there's, like, that barely contained excitement. I think even, like, a little, like, hint of smugness or, like, you know, thinking that they're cool for pulling off this line which is completely different than the character who was like, you know, uh, scolding a child just just a couple reads ago. Uh, so, John, let's let's move on to you. What does Wizard's Apprentice do to your phrase? If wishes were horses, our armies would swarm into the kingdom of the half elf. They would tremble at the feet of our horse. Contemplative is how it starts. A- Trying to offer a hopeful suggestion. Exactly. Yeah, I got like he was speaking up in school, like they were having some yes. sort of military strategy class, and he was just like, "Oh well, you know, if we if we look back at the textbooks, we'll know that our horse golem would clearly destroy the hated elf." Perhaps literally contemplating what to do with a wish spell. <laughs> you know, all I keep thinking of with horse golem is there's a P of Chang's not a lot far from here that has a giant. <laughs> concrete horse sculpture out in front of it and that's what i keep thinking of is that damn thing coming to life 
Nice. I keep wanting to climb on top of it, but all right. <laughs> you know, one thing too, and, and obviously you can't see this because we're recording it, um, which is just audio, but in this kind of relates a little bit to what you're talking about in regards to cadence. And, and this is something that I, I've used as well. And I remember using this specifically at an event uh, where Wayne was running it and it helped me actually with the voice. And that is mannerisms. In, in the example uh, with Wayne, I was my character was kind of a little nervous, a little edgy, a little touchy. And so, you know, I had a lot of shaky arms and hands and things like that. And that helped to feed and remind my body uh, and my mind to get into this, you know, particular type of voice and to maintain that. And I think that that's also kind of a an important element to think about as you're, you know, as you're going about and developing these kinds of voices, these kinds of temperaments, that kind of stuff. There is definitely body gestures that go along with that. Oh, absolutely. And that is part of what's signaling to your table too. And the cool thing about using voices is you will unintentionally start changing your physicality to go along with the voice, which is going to add to the experience for everybody else watching you. Yes. My knolls always lean forward. They glower. They point a fair amount. <laughs> and I don't know which leads which. I don't, it does kind of just come as a package. It's just like you just sort of find this place in yourself. You just go there. Mm-hmm. I guess it kind of ties back to what I was talking about before that some of this... I didn't so much with this last one. This last one, I was more playing off of a social archetype, maybe a stereotype. But with the angry read, you know, I was drawing to a real moment in my life. Uh, Unfortunately, this is the second take of some of this recording because we have had an unbelievably freaky night. Recording equipment has failed. At one point, a fire truck showed up in front of my neighbor's house for reasons we still don't. No, I mean, seriously, anything that could go weird on this recording has gone weird. (laughs) Um, So the fact that you guys are hearing this at all, you would not believe how much effort has been behind this. But one of the ones that we did the first time was instead of anger, James asked us to do sorrow and then to amp up the sorrow. And I used that same you know thing about the actors going to the place that makes them cry, because when he wanted me to really take that sorrow up to like a nine or a ten, I mean, it's a terrible thing to think about. But the only thing I could think of that really would put me in that spot emotionally was I was thinking about my dead dog. And, you know, as cheery as that is to think about. But nonetheless, it still put me in the right sort of state of mind to get that bit of emotion out there. And I didn't linger on it. I mean, I'm not going to think about that obsessively and depress myself here on the mice because that's obviously not real helpful. But (laughs) the point being that there are things within yourself that you can draw upon. And I think one of the things that holds a lot of people back is when they do a voice, they start off with this sense that it has to be artificial. It has to be something other than what they really are. And I'm not entirely convinced that's the case. And I think our own experiences, even our own emotions, our own past, in addition to the other people that we have experienced, are a great place to draw these voices, to draw these mannerisms and these these people, these personalities from, that I think a lot of people may not see because that first impulse is, well, I have to be somebody I'm not, as opposed to simply being a different presentation of the person you actually are. And being that different presentation uh, to other people, uh, you might as well be a different person. Uh, yeah, especially because if for no other reason, they're not seeing it in any context. Exactly. They don't have any idea what's going on here. I mean, my friends have probably seen me depressed, angry, anxious, all these different things, but it was always within a particular context. 
you know, there's something that was clearly, or at least through discussion they came to learn that was putting me in that mood. It was very different than me simply pulling that out in a moment of role play. And in some cases, it's not my own emotion. In some cases, it might be uh, an archetype or something that I draw from my own experience. There's a Battletech game that I ran not all that long ago, and one of the main contacts that the group had uh, was a guy, I don't remember his full name, but his nickname was Bulky, and that was short for something Russian, something very Slavic. I don't remember what specifically, but where I got his accent and personality and demeanor from is our family back in the very late 80s, very early 90s, uh, befriended a family that came here from the Soviet Union, not Russia, but from the USSR. And when they came to St. Louis, they at the time did not speak any English. Uh, we didn't speak any Russian. The only way we were able to communicate was some members of both families spoke German. But nonetheless, we've known this family for decades. And so I've had a lot of close interactions with these Russians. And a lot of what I did for Balky was drawn from a combination of this Russian family, real Russian people, mixed with the intentional hamming of Yakov Smirnov. Yeah. Yes. And I just I just pulled those together. I mean, was it super authentic? No. Was it silly? Absolutely. But was it enough to make the character memorable? I mean, John, what was your... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we loved hanging with Balky. We car-bombed his rivals. You did. You literally car-bombed his rivals. Yes. It was a mech warrior game about battle mechs and strategy and houses and managing your merc core, but Balky needed some people to die. So yeah. we put a bomb in their gas tank, and, and that was the end of that. And there were all these <laughs> options they could have taken that involved mech warrior things and battle mech things or whatever, and they're like, nope, <laughs> we're just going to do this Russian mob style. And the guy started his ignition, there went his car, and there went him, and that was the end of the mission. They fulfilled a Merc contract through car bombing, which I'm sure the bonding commission would frown upon, but hey, what are you going to do? We didn't tell them. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that I think that draws me into like some of what, what I like most about voices, is they really take command and lead the table. If you go to a gaming session where everybody is sort of tired and out of it, uh, that can all spiral down and lead to some of your worst gaming sessions. But if somebody comes in, you know, doing a voice, putting themselves out there, trying to add some intention, intensity and life to their character, you walk away with a great role-playing game because it slowly draws everybody else to their level. And I would say with that too, there's great memories then that, that come along with it. And usually some of them will end up around things that happen in character or in voice character, whether it's a quote, whether it's an occurrence that happened, or if it's a personality or quirks of an NPC or a PC, you know, those memories are created. And that's really what the important part is that you're trying to accomplish here. In fact, you know, I'd like to do a little experiment with this. All right. So, John, you remember Balky. Do you remember your cook on the dropship? Uh, I remember her being a pushy, condescending old lady, but I don't remember her name. No, that's fine, though. Point is, you remember the pushy old lady on the dropship, right? Yes. Now, do you remember the guy that was the lieutenant of the opposing mercenary force that ended up joining you guys? Vaguely. He was Battletech guy number seven. They, they kind of all have the same personality and the same MO. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. 
the level of personality distinction between those characters was relatively minimal, at least in terms of how they were presented in the game. Now, in the backstory in my head, there may have been a whole lot more going on. Mm -hmm. But actually, what was presented in the game, they were all fairly similar. Bulky, the old woman that was the cook on your dropship, and that lieutenant that you guys were with is actually the lieutenant who had the most developed backstory. But he's the one you remember the least about. Mm -hmm. And he was also the one that did not have his own voice, that did not have anything about his character that made him immediately and almost cartoonishly distinct. Right, right, right. You could bite into Balky because, like, it was never essential to the plot that he was always eating caviar and drinking tea and, like, living in these lakeside dacas that were outrageously expensive despite having no visible source of income. Like, just everything came together around Balky to make him a three-dimensional character and fun to play with. Whereas the guy who has a two-piloting, two-gunnery who fielded you and and this, that, and that, and he came from a mech warrior lineage and he had a mech, like, yes, those were all consistent and they all fell into place, but who gives a shit? Every NPC in every Battletech game ever made is that guy until proven otherwise. Yeah. So you don't remember him. Right now, I could lapse into Balky's voice. I could lapse into your cook's voice. I don't recall what, if any, voice distinction there was for that character. I think he just kind of sounded slightly pissed yeah, constantly, he, but nothing really special. He's as forgettable to me as he was to you, and I was the yeah. one that was playing him. One other thing kind of related to this, it doesn't have to always be something that is... You know, whether it's filled with accents or, you know, certain types of voice inflection f- flavor. In, in James, I'm going I'm to pick on one of your one-shot episodes, uh, particularly the L5R episode. Because here you have, you have an RPG where there's almost an assumption that all the characters are going to try to adopt accents, which may or may not succeed to a certain degree. Okay? But now what you, what you ended up doing, though, in that episode is none of you did. Nobody had an accent. You all spoke with different cadence, different intensities. And even though there was no accents to remind me, this is an Asian-themed game, I didn't need them to remind me of that fact because the way in which the voices helped to carry those characters kept me in the game as I was listening to it and reminding me at every moment what's going on, what the action is, and how it relates to the game world and the whole idea of honor and the samurai code and all of those things. And it had nothing to do with an accent because there were no accents in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is a great example of how voice play can like sort of change the way you're doing those characters. And L5R, like obviously because it is an Asian-themed setting, and we are podcasters who are putting out episodes to like thousands of people. We're not going to do Asian accents. <laughs> That's probably not the best plan. <laughs> but you know, but that and I and I get that. And I understand that that certainly was a motivation. I mean, granted, you know, you don't want to become the trade federation. I get that. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> that would be horrible. That would be yeah. Hey, they were Nimodian. That's That was the excuse. Although I kept, you know, it would have been nice to hear one of you at least say Droidica, but you know, <laughs> I was thinking Breakfast at Tiffany's, but yes, the Trade Federation was 50 years later and had no excuse. <laughs> but, but the thing was, is that even though you made that decision from that motivation, again, it didn't matter. And it certainly didn't take away from the enjoyment of 
the episode and the story that was being unveiled and the characters in there. There was investment because the the vocalities of it all just kind of carried it. Yeah, I, I'd say that is a perfect assessment of the way that worked. And L5R was like really wonderful fodder for that sort of voice work. The re- reason being, it is trying to emulate a sort of formal Japanese culture, formal ancient Japanese culture, which has a very indirect form of communication. If you have a disagreement with somebody, you're not supposed to directly confront them with what you think. You're supposed to redirect them towards your way of thought. So it's very possible to have an intense political discussion and debate where neither party says exactly what they're thinking, which is an intensely and amazingly frustrating experience. So you you can tell all of those voices were like biting back words. We had that in our, not the most recent Battletech game, John, but two back, the one with the mercenary core that uh, we played at Patton Best Place. I don't know if you were there for those games, but there's a bunch of stuff that was done in curtain space that came down to these sorts of exchanges, these very Shogun-esque exchanges, like your wife is visiting my palace oh, yeah, to oh, see yeah, the cherry oh, yeah. blossoms. Right. And, no, that was our shorthand for I have your children and if you disobey me, I'll kill them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but all the things that were said without being said. Yes. That no one ever threatened anyone. But yeah, your wife is at my summer palace and there's going to be a new cherry blossom every day until this mission is completed and (laughs) she's going to stay quite willingly to see them yes and we have her carefully watched but it would be a shame if she strayed from her guard (laughs) and something terrible happened i don't think it was even that direct no it wasn't but i'm shorthanding it so it can fit into the because it was chad ran away with that because he was playing the kirit yeah he had a he had a blast and and this came fairly quick on the heels of well not really quick on the heels of but at least within a somewhat short period of time me having red shogun so all those kinds of maneuverings were fresh on my mind to have these people say these terrible things in the most gentle and polite ways yes (laughs) i think that was after i called our lao contact mike hunt (laughs) <laughs> and you rolled to see if he got it, if his English was good enough, and if he knew, like, obscenity. And it was decided that he did not. So yeah. he just called me Michael for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, one person implementing any role-playing technique, especially voicing, can draw that out from the rest of the party. Because you sort of give them permission. It is liberating, you know, to see somebody else at the table doing it. Because... Hell, I did it. You just quit caring as much. You know, you just you just go with it. I spoke it. in the most terrible, overblown, awful German accent in history for 10 months doing that campaign. Have we have we all learned something today? Yeah. It, so I think these were a great bunch of exercises. And this is the type of thing that I hope you guys will be able to practice or at least get some kind of a sense of how we were doing this and where we were going uh, that. You know, this is something that you can draw from within yourself that you can do without feeling like you have to perform on. Once again, if you're interested in picking up this product, whether you want to use it as a party game or whether you want to use it as a sort of group training aid for improving your role playing, then I hope that you will check it out. There will be a link to this Kickstarter in the show notes. There will be a link to the One Shot podcast, uh, which James is a part of in the show notes. 
and also link to whatever uh, unpronounceable studio name it is you have that's doing the NPC card game, uh, <laughs> because what is that studio name, James? I sure as hell can't. That is Paracosm Press. A Paracosm is a shared imaginary world, a detailed and vivid non-real thing. Ah, so you're drawing mm. from the Greek of para and cosmo. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Now that makes a little bit more sense. Para meaning to be divided, such as in paranoid, meaning to be of two minds or multiple minds, as opposed to metanoia, meaning to be of a single mind. Okay. As opposed to yonoid, meaning giving my pizza hut. <laughs> exactly, oh. yes. That was Domino's. That was definitely Whatever. Domino's, though. Yeah. Whatever. John, you... That was a that was an excellent excellent Nintendo Entertainment System card, you know, which I rented discuss- from Blockbuster. For discussions of the Noid, I think they're best avoided anyway. They are Ooh, indeed. Boom! Snap! Nice. Reference. Yes, they are. So, alrighty. So, check the show notes for all that good stuff. And James, thank you for joining us. This episode was a lot of fun. Actually, these episodes, given how many times we got screwed up by various things. Yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for struggling to keep your head above water with me. No problem at all. It was our our pleasure. As for you guys at home, as always, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Avoid the noise. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.